0: The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O God, who make us worthy of the unworthy, just and holy of sinners, and clean of the unclean, cleanse our hearts and bodies from all taint and defilement of sin, and make us worthy and strenuous ministers of thy holy altar. Mercifully grant that we may offer a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to thy loving kindness for our sins and offenses, for our innumerable daily transgressions and likewise for the washing away of the sins of all people. May this desire be acceptable to Thee through Him who offered Himself a sacrifice for us to Thee, His God and Father, who liveth and reigneth with the same God the Father, in the unity of the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Okay, we're going to talk today about the priest and prayer. And the last time we talked about the person of the priest and something that... Comes to mind here, and I think I've said this in past lessons that there are two aspects of the faith. What I call attitudes and actions. I I use those words because they're easy to remember. That is, we have a whole demeanor of understanding that we need to develop in order to to comprehend the mysteries that are being revealed to us, and those are the attitudes, our mindset. Part of discipleship in orthodoxy is that our mindset is being transformed to see into eternity, to be able to see in a vision. Eternity can be right here in our midst, indeed it is, and we can never see it, never know it's there. And so part of the discipleship is, is having our eyes open. Notice how many miracles of sight occur in, in the Gospels. To have our eyes open so that we understand differently the antiphons of creation. We want to see with that vision. And that's the attitude. And also action. It it, it does no good to see and do nothing. We have something I, I I call, I see this in American society today, functional atheism. That is, people believe in God, but they act as if he doesn't matter. That's functional atheism. A lot of Americans are functional atheists. A lot of people coming to churches are functional atheists. I mean, they, they hear and they believe, but they don't let it affect them in any way. And we mustn't be that way. It must be transformed. So attitudes and actions, what we do. And so the action of the priest, and really it is both the attitude and the action, but the action is prayer, which is the operation of the temple. And remember, the temple is eternity, and the temple is the, the, the heart, and the temple is that place right there, and every place where the faithful meet. So attitudes and actions go into it. When St. John speaks about prayer for the priest, and this is for all of us, he tells us, at least in in Jardine's book, uh, he tells us six things. That It's interesting that I keep coming up at six, like the six candles on the altar completed in God. But one of them is that prayer is stewardship. We're going to look at all these in detail. Another, he says, he encourages us to pray with boldness and he encourages us to believe that our prayer makes a difference. And and two others, which are sort of related, he tells us and reminds us that repetitive prayer is good and that fixed prayers are good. And lastly, after having said all that, he reminds us of something else, that the devil will attempt to inhibit us from learning this, both in attitude and action. His job is to keep us from being what God wants us to be. So I want to look at these in in, in some detail. The first one, prayer is an action of stewardship. Uh, I like to say that everything in the Christian life is an act of stewardship. Notice that St. Paul uses several examples in his letters. One is that Christianity is like being in the Roman army, the ancient Roman army, so it it behooves you to study Rome uh, and the Roman armies to get an idea of how he uses the imagery. But the second one is like an athlete in a race. Uh, And the third one is that of servants or slaves or stewards. And and it's all synonymous. Now, the the biblical concept of slavery is a lot different than what we've seen in American history, but but it's there. Uh, And and we are slaves of Christ. When we come into, we don't have to be in the church, so we can't say somebody pushed this on me and made me do it. (laughs) You know, the devil made me do it, so uh, he didn't want us here, so he didn't do that. So in any case, we came here of our own free will. So come of our own free will, then. We, we, we submit ourselves to this yoke, this burden, this operation. And, and part of that is to learn this. Uh, so, so prayer is stewardship. It is a part of the slave of Christ, the operation and the function of the slave of Christ, which is you and me. St. John said, during prayer, be mindful that you be mindful. See, the, the attitude, that you are a steward, an impure and unworthy steward of the most precious inheritance of the church, its prayer, and that your work consists in opening your heart to it. We only open our hearts to it by doing it. It's not enough just to say, I know, and then to do nothing, we have to enter into it. And so we are the stewards who, and, and impure, uh, st- faulty stewards so, you know, if you say, well, I don't do it very well. Well, join the club. <laughs> You're one of many. There's a great cloud of witnesses here. What do you think that is? Because we've all tried and failed miserably, but we keep getting up and, and going on with it and doing it. So we are unworthy and impure stewards. St. John was speaking of himself when he said this. So, Good enough for him. Good enough for the rest of us. We are faulty. So our, our work is to open ourselves to this by getting into it and by doing it. We are stewards of prayer. Remember that last time I told you, when you see that, 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 that Christus Rex uh, on the wall above the altar, see him Christ vested in the priest's vestments to see yourself and remember your duty and your work. And so also remember when you see that, that we are the stewards of that individual there, God incarnate. So not only when we're priesting, when we're priesting, and we should be priesting all the time, not just when we come here. This is just one aspect of it. But all the time, uh, we are also being stewards. He says, pray with boldness. This is what he says. It's always with boldness that I ask spiritual blessings of the Lord and temporal blessings also, when when these are needful. And the Lord grants them in accordance with his faithful promise. So one of the things we have to learn is to pray with boldness. I, I hear people say, you know, I really wanted to go to God in prayer, but I didn't want to bother him. He's got so much on his platter. Well, what's wrong with that based on what we've said? Remember, we're entering into eternity. The notion that God has got too much to do because too many people are lined up is a chronological time material based concept. God is listening to the prayers of all the people who have ever existed and who are yet to come, and he hears them all at once. He can handle it. So we must be bold about our prayers to go with everything, and nothing is so insignificant. However, we do need to learn that there are some things for which we pray and some things for which we don't pray, like praying for Johnny to win his his team to win their football game is not the kind of thing we do. Praying for those... T- important, oh, yeah. Especially if it's New Orleans saints, right? <laughs> See, he's already, we can, we've got this guy figured out. you know. <laughs> so we have to have it, we, we pray with boldness, but also with, with sense. So, so don't be afraid to take things in prayer to God, but make sure that they are the right things. Uh, and that can be both spiritual and temporal issues. You know, if, 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 if our car is breaking down and we need a new automobile and we're figure, trying to figure out how we're going to pay for it if we get one and what are we going to do, well, let's take that to God in prayer. That's okay. It's a temporal thing, but it's okay. <laughs> in this, this area, you got to have a car to be able to get anywhere. i uh, never seen anything like, I came from Wichita Falls. You know, 15 minutes is the longest you traveled anywhere in Wichita Falls. So, I mean, you could walk it. Uh, it was wonderful. I got to church so quickly and I lived on the other side of town. Now here, I got to drive at least 25 minutes to get here. When we were in McKinney, it was what, an hour to get here or more. Yeah, it's killing us. So anyway, got to have a good car to do that. So another one is believe that prayer will make a difference. Believe that your prayer will make a difference. He said, believe that the prayer, even of one friend of God, above all a priest, who lives a holy life, can work wonders, can have remarkable effects even upon the natural order of this world. One person, that that prayer will make a difference. Of all of us, we think, well, what are my prayers? I'm a sinner. I mean, I, what do I do? Why, why bother me? I mean, you know, uh, we've got Bishop Basil and, and, and the Hierarchs. They pray because that's our duty. And you'd be surprised sometimes, some of the least of us, We'll say prayers and things will happen. So we mustn't discount the value of our prayers. We have to believe that our prayers make a difference. The only way we're going to find this out is to do it and watch what happens and keep doing it when it doesn't happen the way we think it should because that may be part of the answer. There's more here than what we think should be and we want to be open to that. And part of what... defines that holiness that he speaks of here are these things. Remember these, because these are part of the Christian discipleship. Learning to be gentle, learning to be humble. Humility is the essence of Christian discipleship. Humility in the right sense, that is a willingness to go where God leads regardless. To be merciful, to be temperate, always laboring, and persisting in patience persisting in patience. We, we are Americans. We want it all right now. It's all instant. And if we don't get it, by God, I don't need this. I tried it and it didn't work for me. Well, of course it didn't work because you didn't really try it. We have to persist in patience. Yes, and So, um, you kind of touched
1: on an issue that I've always had is like feeling
0: like, well, I don't want You don't want to what? I, I used to
1: kind of think like, well, I don't want to. I'm so unimportant. God doesn't. And I, I think I've gotten past that, but now sometimes I struggle in trying to be bold with my prayer, like, you know, God, please, you know, help me with this, do this, can you make this Well, but only if you want to, because if, and then I, I sort of back off, like, oh, and I guess, I guess I, I I think that that's maybe like okay to go there, but I guess my question to you is like. I, is it possible to push it
0: too far and like well remember the story of Abraham and when he interceded for sodom and Gomorrah you know and he kept saying he said Lord what if there are 40 righteous people will you not destroy the city and then he said and God said no I won't destroy the city he said well what what, what? now wait a minute don't take this personally you know I'm, I'm paraphrasing the story but <laughs> what if there are 30 and God said yeah if there are 30 righteous I'll spare the city well now Lord don't, don't be offended by me and what But notice how he does it. He keeps, and and he's careful, and and he's doing something noble. He's interceding for these people. So it's not like he was saying, you know, Lord, what if Johnny goes to the football game and I want his team to win, you know, and we waste our time on stuff like that. that
1: Maybe Johnny had a really rough week. (laughs) <laughs>
0: yeah, but Johnny needs to learn to be picked up by the things that really matter and not winning temporal things like football games. That's my word on it for what that's worth. Yeah. So anyway, I used to play baseball, so I know. You know. Uh, anyway, the next one is that repetition in prayer is good. John, St. John says, it's our priestly duty to re- repeat over and over the same prayers, beginning with the Lord's Prayer itself. For it's not by variety of prayers that the soul is strengthened, but by their constant repetition. And so by their being brought into our heart, into our will, into our whole life. I don't know why it is, but American Christians have a thing against repetitive prayer. And, you know, Jesus said he condemned vain repetition. But what he was addressing was a practice in ancient Judaism where it was believed that if you said certain prayers a number of times a certain way with a certain emphasis that you could manipulate God into operating. That was the vain repetition to which he was referring. With the word, the emphasis, emphasis not on the word repetition, but on vain Vain repetition, because St. Paul talked about repetition. And Jesus said when, when he told the parable of the widow who, who wanted justice and she went to the magistrate, he, he, told, he said that she went and she kept going back until the guy got sick of listening to her and he answered her. And, and it, says, it says, it prefaces that parable by saying he told this story so that they would pray always and not lose heart. And then he has an emphasis of repeating Well, he's not opposed to repetition, and we shouldn't be either. We will say the same prayers over and over and over and over again. When the disciples said, teach us to pray, what did he say? Pray this way, Our Father. That's why in the church, in the Orthodox church, almost every service, virtually every service, no matter what it is, has the Our Father included in it. Is that not vain repetition? We're repeating it. Say the same thing. You know what it does? The same prayers, repetition, sears the prayers into our beings, and they begin to change us and change the way we see reality. So we want to do the same thing over and over again. We want to. In fact, we're we're asked to. So did you have a question?
1: I think of David's prayer. Oh, God, my God. (laughs) But he's not doing it vainly, and he's not doing it like some of the 21st century. All over. Oh Lord, oh Lord. He's actually saying
0: what he's doing. Yeah. I I heard of one church non-orthodox that won't even say the Our Father two Sundays in a row for fear of vain repetition. So we don't want to go there. Repetition is good. Remember that. Saying those same prayers over and over again is good. And let me tell you something. Singing them and singing them the same way over and over again is even better. That's why we do this. Sing it all, because the melodies get seared into our hearts. So it's not just the words, but the melodies. You know, I always say that I cannot recite to you the words of the Magnificat, but if we use the uh, solemn tone 8-1, I can tell you what the words are. I can sing it to you, because I've done it so many times. So, so the rep- repetition is good. Saint John And St. John says this. This is someone who did it. And lastly, or next to that, fixed prayers are good. That is, <laughs> the prayers of the church. If, if, if you've never prayed before and you came to me and said, Te- what do I do to pray? How do I start a prayer rule? My first s- suggestion would be find two times, w- morning and afternoon, some, or morning and evening, and set those times and make, make them hallowed for you. Nothing else matters but saying your prayers. And then what you do is you say, the our Father the Hail Mary, the Kyrie Eleison, and the Gloria Patri. And usually when someone who's never prayed before asks that question and you give that answer, their countenance falls. That's it? Yeah, (laughs) that's all you can handle. But do it. Those are the fixed prayers of the church. And they're life-giving. And they summarize everything we've talked about in all of these lessons in a general sort of way. So we start there. Those are the fixed prayers of the church. I still remember, I think I told you this in in another lesson, where my attitude changed in this, many, many years ago, before I was orthodox, was that I was, I was opposed to fixed prayers. I thought fixed prayers are, are bad. Repetition is bad. I'd been through that whole mindset, so I, I just thought it was horrible. And I was working in this church that were, church where I worked, and one day I was passing through the the back of the church, and on the back of the racks, you know, the prayer books were in the back of the racks. And I don't know what inspired me, but something. Here's a guy that doesn't like fixed prayers, mind you. If I'd had my way, they wouldn't have gotten rid of those prayer books and gone to spontaneous prayer. But something inspired me to open, to pick up one of those books and look at it. So I picked it up and I opened it up. I just accidentally, just, you know, accidentally, just opened the book up. And there it was, the beginning of the, the Eucharistic service and the collect for purity, almighty God unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of thy Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love thee and worthily magnify thy holy name through Christ our Lord." And I thought, that says everything I want to say to God. And <laughs> then, I, then I was what else is in here The <laughs> Same way with hymns. I used to think the old hymns are bad. You know, guitar music. <laughs> <laughs> That's the real thing, until I started looking at some of the words of those hymns, especially the ones, the old ones, the really old ones. And I thought, oh man, this fixed prayers, they're good. St. John said, the prayers of the church, that's what fixed prayers are, the prayers of the church, are most pleasing to God and most powerful. Able to incline the Lord to every mercy, which means he's waiting to hear us say those prayers. He wants to hear us say those prayers. We don't manipulate him with them. We just say them. And it teaches us, by doing it, it teaches us to pray. Let me just tell you that in the Mass, you're used to it being a certain way. And if you've gone to an Eastern Rite church, you're used to it being a certain way. But it's true that, it's historically true that, in the life of the church, the original services were much shorter than they are now. But what's happened is over the centuries, people have prayed these liturgies so much they've been caught up in it, just sucked into it, if you will, into the liturgy. So they, they, they had to pray. We you know the old joke in orthodoxy, you always start a prayer with a prayer. So they had to pray and, 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 and enjoy prayer first before they even got started. By the way, that means that before you get here, you should be praying before you get here. Don't wait till you get here. And then when you get here, you pray some more before the liturgy starts. You know, that's the way it works. Anyway, people got so caught up in it, and then they couldn't stop. And so prayers, got, so prayers got added to the beginning and the ending of the liturgies. And so in ours, for example, originally it's believed. See, we don't even know anymore. We've been doing it like this for so long. It's, just, it was originally, it's really originally believed that the, the, the liturgy of the word, the scripture readings and the like, started roughly at the first lesson. So everything preceding that is added on because people were so caught up in it. And everything after communion is added. The the last gospel in the Western Rite, that's a Western Rite practice, started out as the pious prayers of a priest somewhere in Europe who, who just thought this would be great as I'm leaving the church to read this privately and recite it as I'm going out. And it caught on. And other priests thought, oh, this is awesome. And so they started doing it. And finally, the bishop of their diocese found out and made it mandatory for everybody in their diocese. And so now the rubrics read you can either do it like we do here aloud or do it quietly among you. So you might go somewhere where they'll do it quietly. But that's the older, the older practice. But that's it. Started caught up in the prayers. And the prayers themselves transform everything, even the liturgy. So we have centuries of prayers, millennia maybe, because it goes back to the, some of the ancient forms in Judaism, all wrapped up in these fixed prayers. Yes, sir? What uh, verse is that one? No, 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 it's John, St. John of Kronstadt. It's the writings of St. John of Kronstadt. So fixed prayers are good. These are the prayers of the church. And they come out of the experience of all those who've gone before us. The experience of Christ. So we're participating in that when we use these prayers. And lastly, the devil does not want us to go here. So he's going to do everything he can to keep us from doing this. Everything. I think you said something like this in your sermon today. Uh, At least that's what I heard, maybe because I had prepared this material. But in any case, he said, when because you are inwardly disturbed or depressed, you find it difficult to say the prayers of the divine office with a whole heart, then consider that your disturbance or depression is a delusion of your enemy, the devil. Throw aside your despondency, your faint heartedness, your timidity, and deliberately pray calmly without hurrying and more firmly. So we can expect that if we resolve to do anything about this, that we are going to be encouraged to quit, to stop, and not do it. It will be easy. You know, we, we, get, these, we get these notions, oh, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna pray this stuff, and I'm gonna pray it so diligently, it's gonna transform my life, and about two days later, we've quit. Uh, because we got discouraged for whatever reasons, uh, and you know there are all kinds of reasons. But really, we have to make it a priority and, and to make it work, and we have to stay with it and teach ourselves. Uh, and so we 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 or we get caught up in it and we hurry through it. Uh, I still, I have a I have a personal problem with watches at the altar. So. Years ago, before I was Orthodox, I had a beloved priest. He was a great pastor. But in those days, the Dallas Cowboys game started at 1130. So the church's service started at 1030. So he wanted to make, and people would actually leave after communion and not wait for the closing prayers. And the service was much like what we do here. Uh, And so they would leave before the closing prayer so they could get home in time for the kickoff. And he, he hated that. But he didn't want to call him on it. So what he did was he start cutting out parts of the liturgy to get the service done in one hour. So it would justify them. And, and I remember seeing him do this. Now he's facing the people in that church so they could really see what he was doing. You know? Not like he can do it subtly. You know, like Father, Father Mark can lift his hand up like this and you won't know it. You think, he, you think he's doing something like this, you see. So the priest would do this. I hated that. And I swore if I ever became a priest, I would never do that. I would never look at my watch. Well, then after we were Orthodox and our backs to the congregation, I have prayers that I take up to the altar. I did when I was functioning as a parish priest. And I had so many that I had to break them down into odd and even days to make it more reasonable. So sometimes I'd get up there and I couldn't remember, is this an odd day or is an even day? (laughs) So I'd look at my watch and see the number on my watch, one, two, three, four, et cetera, and they tell me. And then I thought, what if they see me do that and they think I'm doing what he did, you know? And so I quit, I quit doing that. And I just thought, well, if I don't know what day it is, I just have to say them all. So in any case, uh, we don't want to be in a hurry. We don't want to rush it. We're here to lose that quality of time, yes. Anyone complained when you started cutting prayers out? I never heard anyone complain. <laughs> wow. Never heard anyone complain. Not it's not to say they didn't. I just, I just I mean, you're talking about small things like the our father, cut the our father out. Uh, that's awesome. that's mandatory. <laughs> that's mandatory in, in the liturgics of the Western tradition. <laughs> so I, I remember that's the only thing I remember you cut it, up a bit, but the but the lace, not the I mean the onus dei sometimes. Um one of the communion hymns, take the last hymn, cut it in half. You're supposed to sing all the verses of the hymn, cut it in half, uh, or sing one verse and cut it off. Uh, so, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, in any case, we'll be tempted to do this. You laugh, you can laugh, but let me tell you, get in your own prayer time and you'll be watching, you'll be going, oh, maybe I need to cut this one out or not do this one or that one. Remember, we want to be caught up in this to where we lose track of time. That's what he's saying. We lose track of time as we get caught up in eternity. We want to be caught up in eternity. What is there in this world that's so important that we have to have it done? Uh, and so anyway, so we need to resist that. The devil will come after us with these kinds of things. Be, make note, uh, and he, he does not want us to be what Christ wants us to be. doesn't. You do anything; It doesn't take much. You and I are easily, we're very gullible and easily distracted and we'll find all kinds of excuses. And, you know, I hate even talking about any of this up here because I know I've learned from experience. The minute I get out of here, he's coming after me uh, and I'm weak. So everything I've had to say to you is going to be tested today. So, oh, well, so you can pray for me because this is where you practice right now. I mean it. Uh, you pray for me, you pray for me. We pray for us because whenever we open our mouths, we set ourselves up for failure. Uh, mm. Because the enemy really comes after all of us. He does not want this group of people or any group of people that call themselves by his name to be what God wants them to be. So you look at our society and see how it's going down the tubes. This is the modern world. It's always been this way, just in different formats. Uh, but now we're really in a situation where we can really become what God wants and has always wanted. And the only way we'll do it is to face this kind of circumstance. And we're not going to make it through it if we, we pray five minutes and quit because we don't have the stamina to keep at it. We have to learn these things. We have to make ourselves learn these things. So summarize. Prayer is, according to St. John of Kronstadt, stewardship Remember that there is a stewardship of prayer. We are to pray with boldness. Remember this when you go to make your confession. (laughs) Confess with boldness. Believe that your prayers make a difference. Every one of you, every one of us, from the greatest to the least, our prayers matter. Believe that repetition and the repeating of those prayers is a good thing. Don't stop. Keep repeating them. Keep saying them over and over, no matter what voices you hear keep doing it. That fixed prayers are good. The prayers of the church are good. And remember always that how, no matter how, to, how much you get drawn into this, devil will always be busy trying to keep you from going there. Uh, just as a, a little aside, I've mentioned this before, but there's a book called The Snake Bite Letters by Peter Craft. And if you really want to know how the enemy goes after us, you should read that book. It's an easy read, but it deals with what I call American Christianity, and we are American Christians. And so, the snakebite letters. Uh, I, I I recommended it to a guy at St. Constantine and Helen once, and and he read about one chapter and said, "You know what? I had to stop reading. I'm depressed." So, yes, actually, he imitates. He admits in the in the in the beginning that he's. He's gotten the idea from C.S. Lewis. And I think, frankly, that he does a better job of it. See, oh, uh, wow. Lewis is a classic writer. So he writes as a classic writer. But this guy is, and he writes in generalities, whereas Krafft writes in specifics, dealing with issues within the Catholic Church in modern America. So it, it, the, re- the things really strike home. And I don't, you know, again, <laughs> you might check. With, I, I should have t- checked with you first before recommending that. but. Uh, uh, you get in trouble, just blame it on me. Uh, anyway, the next time we'll look at prayer and the divine. I mean, the priest and divine services—that is the liturgy. Father, before we close, um, I really want to
1: address for one second this, that because there's been—I so could kind of see the gears grinding—about this idea and sense of praying. Boldly. Um, let me let me help with that. I think all of us struggle sometimes. To come and pray as boldly as our Lord has, and I'll say this very specifically, has ordained us to. You are like me when your comments a few minutes ago. There are times where we get so deceived to not walk in our vocation. And a lot of times the deceptions come from our own understanding of our humanity that particular day or that particular week. Let me give you an example. Okay, you know, I'm an ordained priest. Father's an ordained priest. I promise you this. There have been very dark weeks in my life where I have failed the Lord miserably. Okay? But I have been ordained nonetheless to come here and serve in the prayers and the liturgies and my showing up despite what I'm feeling about myself, despite what the enemy is putting in my mind about myself, my coming in and being faithful to the ordination that I've been giving is coming boldly. You are the priesthood of all believers in a vocation no less than mine, no less than ours. You have been ordained to stand in the gap between heaven and paradise and God and the brokenness of your own humanity and the humanity of the world and to intercede. For me on a daily basis to get convinced that, no, you can't, you you shouldn't do that today. Look at your life. Look at how can you go before God and be an intercessor? Is that not any different than the voice that was speaking into Adam and Eve's ears in the Garden of Eden? Did God not... You know, come on. So what is this boldness of prayer? It's being who you are. Being who you've been made. Being who you've been ordained to be. And in walking in boldness. Remember what the writer of Hebrews says. Because of all that our great high priest Jesus Christ did, let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we might find help and mercy in time of need. Christ, our great high priest, paved the path for boldness on our parts. He opened the door so that we could walk in exactly who he's ordained us to be, despite who we currently are, so that we might become what we're always created to be. Boldness I would equate with simple faithfulness. I am not worthy. I will never be worthy. And there are times that I'm filled with junk more than others. But nonetheless, I will. That's holy boldness. And Christ has invited it. He's made you a priest and invited you despite all of your frailties and your illness of soul and the junk that's in our soul and the weight of our conscience. He's invited us to faithfully run and be what He has created us to be. And if we'll do that, we are the ones that will evolve by the boldness He's given us. Does that make sense? Keep that in your minds about what it means to come with boldness. It's not arrogance. It's the opposite. It's faithfulness. It's absolute faithfulness. Okay? Thank you.
0: Come in peace to love and serve the Lord. That's it. I have nothing more to say after this. Thank you all.